0: I'm back in the U.S. Feels great. And unlike the Taiwanese garbage trucks, that was an honest to God ice cream truck that you just heard. Now here after the ice cream truck, some loud mariachi type music. Uh, yeah. I'm back in L.A. Just for a couple days I'm gonna go hang out with John Brantingham tonight you might remember John he does the art of composing podcast and blog and he's been here on composer quests a couple times so stay tuned for interviews with John and some other people here in California John Brantingham. Here we are. It's great to meet you in
1: person. Yes, it is. Well, t- it's good to meet you. <laughs> well, That sounded very self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good for other people to meet me. But yeah. Yeah.
0: but, yeah, we uh, have been hanging out today, played some Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate? I smoked Charlie it's today. It's true. Uh, but I've been up for like 24 hours plus.
1: Well, not quite.
0: But a long time. A long time. My body is not adjusted
1: yet from Taiwan time. But I hear that Jeff Goldblum resets your circadian rhythm. So (laughs) so it's perfect for what we're doing tonight. (laughs) Yes.
0: So, listeners, I, I found out yesterday that Jeff Goldblum is playing a jazz show that he does regularly on Wednesday nights in L.A. And my friend Kathy posted about it, and I thought... This is too much of a coincidence. I'm in L.A., I'm buying tickets, and we'll see if John wants to come. So, yeah, yeah, we're going to go there later
1: tonight. I think I'm more excited about this concert than I've I've been excited about any concerts in the last, like, year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we talked about your love of Jurassic Park before on the podcast. You said Jeff Goldblum wasn't necessarily
1: your favorite character. So what's your favorite character? Whoa, 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 you're setting me up here. (laughs) (laughs) I love Jeff Goldblum. No, I don't know. I think I was always partial to the um the uh, Game Warden. You know, like every time we'd play Jurassic Park as kids and I'd be like, "Clever girl." And then, you know, <laughs> pretend I was getting eaten by a rafter. so. Yep. I always liked him, but um my favorite character was the music, of course. Oh. <laughs> nerd. Was that a, was that an easy <laughs> That was an easy question. Right?
0: Yeah, music. That's what this podcast is about. That is, yes. But I've been taking some detours uh in this fair. tour yeah and you've already been on the podcast twice so. i know <laughs> i don't have anything <laughs> important all to say after two yeah well actually we already have been talking a ton about music last night and today let's see what topics did we cover that i want to
1: talk about with you what did we cover i don't know because it was pretty late last night I don't know. well we're
0: okay here's one the google Mind,
1: yes, Deep Mind. mind. Yeah, what is that? Google Deep Mind is a neural net, you know, AI computer that somehow like teaches itself how to do things. And what Google has done is they had the computer, you know, effectively listen to a bunch of piano music, and then it didn't. It didn't compose music. It generated you know, similar sound waves. And the sound waves are extremely convincing classical piano music. I mean, it's amazing, and it's a little bit disturbing, too. A little frightening, (laughs) if you you want to be a composer for the rest of your life. (laughs) But, um, I mean, you listen to them. I I thought they were... Yeah, as far as timbre, it's like right on. Timbre, and I, I felt like it performed whatever it's you're going to call. It. I mean, I don't even know. You know, it's it's clearly there's notes involved, like, mm-hmm. but it's not thinking in notation or it's not spitting out any kind of notation. It's just purely spitting out similar sounding patterns and things. Uh, but because of that, it's getting that human feel that I've never heard a computer been able to generate. Is that human feel? So it doesn't seem like it'll be very long until yeah. Skynet so. takes over the world. Apparently, <laughs> you know. Well, I, so. I could I could definitely see, you know, a mixture of things where Deep Deep Mind could add the polish to things, and you know, using other kind of algorithms, you could mm. compose the piece and, and all sorts of things. So yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to see where that's going to go. Yeah, Deep Mind well. requires a huge amount of computing power. So. I don't think at least for the next, you know, five or ten years it's gonna be practical on the
2: hmm. small
1: scale unless of course it, you know, some other quantum computing thing takes off and everybody's <laughs> got a quantum computer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're thinking of it more as like a polish the end product, but I think also it could be used like as a starting point maybe too. Like Yeah. Generate stuff and then people could
1: there there was a guy, um, what's his name? I don't know if it's David Cope or if it's another guy I'm thinking of. Um, what he started with was he had the computer just kind of feed him a little idea here, a little idea there, and he felt like, oh, these are much more kind of unique compared to what I would come up with the basic idea, and then he would develop it from there. And then he, I guess, worked on it more, uh, making it more sophisticated, eventually just saying this thing can just compose on its own and let's put this out as concert music yeah um emily e- emily that's something a, yeah is
0: the composer oh, i thought emily composer. yeah emily's the computer but yeah david um, cope sounds familiar
1: i know david cope's written a couple books on um emily howell emily howell so yeah. i think it is david cope that did yeah it's david cope
0: friend sent me that just to test me and he's like what do you think of this composer and I thought oh she's she's good I like it yeah (laughs) yeah and then later found out yeah
1: it's convincing although it's uh, I guess it comes down to uh, and where we were talking about a little bit with film scoring you know if a score could be generated by a computer in 30 seconds and it hits everything in the movie and it even has the right emotional cues and stuff you know, would would a director still want that? And I think if it's for, you know, production music, kind of like a Google or a YouTube commercial or something, yeah, they're going to be like, yeah, just generate it and we're done. We don't have to worry about it. But I could still think, you know, the example we used was, would Spielberg still use John Williams for Schindler's List or would he auto-generate it, even if he could get the exact same product? You hmm. know, I would hope that they would say art is a human endeavor and want to, you know, get artists to actually make mm-hmm. their mark but but i don't know we'll see but yeah money money it's, talks so yeah and you know i think the hollywood machine will definitely take it when it can i think it's going to get to the point where you can auto generate an avengers movie you know mm-hmm. from start to finish all the actors <laughs> you just yeah. like pick some new characters to throw in the mix and <laughs> click a button and it's done and then i hope by the time we get to that point everyone's going to say okay i think we're done with this style and let's do something that only humans can do and and try to get back to the nuts and bolts of things and so the kind of handmade mm-hmm. but I, I like to push myself to write by hand compose by hand as much as possible because it just feels more human
0: yeah you know? moving lines around so,
1: on a Daw just it gets tiresome
0: yeah so tell me about um uh, you finished your program Mm -hmm. Um,
1: but still are taking a few classes just because you can. (laughs) Because I can, yeah. So I I finished up the film scoring program about a year ago, actually. Um, But I was, uh, originally I'm I'm enrolled on GI Bill, so GI Bill will cover all the costs and pay me a stipend. So it's kind of a no-brainer. I saw some classes I wanted to take, like um, audio recording theory and art of mixing, and yeah. stuff so which we're going to go yeah, we're going to so try to have it. you I'm sit gonna... in a little bit
0: yeah um maybe we can do a summary afterwards of what what happened in the class
1: yeah yeah um, we left early to go to Jeff Goldblum's oh, concert right. <laughs> that'll be the <laughs> sure
0: but i think this is such a rare opportunity well I, I guess he plays every wednesday it's I mean, rare for me it's rare could, for you, you know, and i think this is i would probably end. not have known about it unless you told me about it yeah so. so tell me about like what you've been learning about the industry here yeah What insights could you give people who are thinking about like ooh, should i Try to move to LA. Should I try to take classes on film scoring? That well, kind of thing?
1: you know, I I would say um, there's always these naysayers on film scoring programs, and you know, in some respects, you learn a lot more about the craft of scoring films by scoring films, and there's no way around it. Um, you know, the the program was great in that I could. Uh, record with live players, really, really phenomenal live players, you know, um, people that play in the LA Phil or the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra or record on you know major films here, um, and have a ton of experience too with films of the past. Like a one of the guitarists that played for us, Tim May, he's the guy that uh, I mean, he's done a ton of things, but he played the guitar solo, the Johnny B. Good solo and Back to the Future. Oh, and I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. That was like a very formative moment in my life when I like, I want to learn to play that solo. (laughs) You know. (laughs) I got out a guitar and had no idea what it's doing, but it was like a big deal. I was like, I can't believe this guy is playing my music right now. So those kind of experiences, you know, they get fed to you. Whereas if you just come out here and you don't take a course, they don't get fed to you. You have to you have to fight for them yourselves. You know, and then the other I would say the main main benefit is that you you make contacts. You know, so all of our teachers are working professionals. They all know everybody else. So once you start to know, you know, five or six people, then you're one step away from just about everybody. You know, so I've had, you know, Charles Bernstein, who who did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Kill Bill and things. And he taught one of our courses. And he knows everybody. He was able to bring in for our course, our guest was Michael Giacchino. So we got awesome. to all go out and have coffee with Michael Giacchino. This stuff just doesn't happen to you if you're not in a place that can allow that to happen. So obviously moving out to L.A., you know, you're not going to be around a ton of composers, or film composers at least, unless you're out here or in another major hub. Maybe New York, maybe London. Only a couple places around the world really have this many. How do you make
0: the best use of your time with these people who you're... Some are your teachers, so you can form a little bit more of a relationship but how about like people you meet
1: briefly like how do you well you know i mean obviously the more you start to meet people you get a little less worried about like hey can i get your card here's my card you know just the basics like getting each other's information learning a little bit about them remembering their name and face and being able to say their name when you see them the next time mm. it goes a long way because everybody's uncomfortable <laughs> at every party <laughs> everyone like shows up and it's like a bunch of people standing around, and then there's like five or six that really know how to schmooze. you know. So if you can – the more people you know, the more likely you are to look like one of those people that knows everybody.
0: You know? mm-hmm. um, are you
1: getting to that point now around here? I wouldn't say – no, I try to be – when I go to events or you know parties or whatever, I try to be very active at the party. I'm not trying to be – strategically networking or anything like that but i try to you know go around and and meet everyone and talk to people and and things like that Mm -hmm. so and then another huge benefit of a program like this is that you get connected with the directors in the program so they have networking events for people you know film scoring and uh, dps and directors and editors we all kind of do these little mixers you know, I, I went to a couple of the mixers. I made a couple of friends, but then once you're in, and one person likes you, usually they'll recommend you to another friend. So, one director that I worked with, um, his name's uh, Nick GM40. I did a two-minute film for him. It was that tear gas one, which mm-hmm. was I did I did a parody of Jaws, and it involves uh, passing gas in the movie. So, <laughs> it's it's my finest hour, actually. liked working with me and recommended me to you know two or three other people that i did short films for uh and it kind of grows exponentially so so you've been asked to do a lot of sound alikes recently and
0: like specific genre (laughs) tracks um which is fun you're playing me some of those (laughs) yeah the the ferris (laughs) bueller type (laughs)
1: was actually like maybe a year and a half ago that i did those ones and and it was for just a college short film so i wasn't too worried about like copyrighted nobody's gonna go after me for that stuff um if it's something that is gonna get played anywhere significant i would very much shy away from having anything that sounds you know one of the classes I'm taking right now, kind of these add-on extra classes, is music supervision. Mm. And music supervisors are the people that kind of control a lot of the um, musical choices that happen at, at studios or for projects. You know, they, they're very involved in TV with picking songs and finding composers. And they've got the perspective of they're not quite as attached. It seems like they're not as attached to the music, obviously, it's the composer who wrote it. And they'll, I'm happy to see that they'll turn stuff away that sounds too close to the original. So if something's temped, uh, you know, temp love is a, is a real thing. Yeah. You know, maybe they picked uh, something from The Dark Knight or any number of A-list composers. And they're like, we want it to sound more like that, more like that, more like mm-hmm. that. And um, it becomes a, uh, legally a very gray area, you know, because obviously you're obligated to do what they want. It's their project, and they could just fire you if you say no. But you're also, when you sign your contract, you're, you're guaranteeing that these are original works. Ooh, and so yeah. you're not necessarily legally covered. They do have an insurance, and prior to the movie being released, they have to get clearance from the insurance agency and from lawyers and stuff, making sure that it's, it's clear. But sometimes that, that doesn't happen. And, it, for example, on 300... There's a, there's a scene where King Leonidas as a young boy goes out into the wilderness and like hunts a lion and then, you know, brings back the lion as a cape or something. And the cue is this kind of very epic choir sound, really amazing, uh, until you hear the cue that Elliot Goldenthal did from Titus. And then you realize it's literally the exact same cue. Like, and you, you just know what happened. They just kept saying, make it more like this. And the composer was put in a position to have to do that. And and then what happened was the movie was released and nobody caught it. Mm. And they actually had to go back. They had already released the soundtrack on, like, CDs. They had to go back and put stickers. And I can't remember exactly what they said, but they are like, our apologies to Mr. Elliot Goldenthal. Oh. You know, and they gave him <laughs> and credit. Got they, he, and he Yeah, stuff. I think he gets royalties for it. They gave him credit for it. I mean, if it, if it came down to it and if I had accused somebody copied and... Uh, I probably wouldn't care. But then again, composers don't own the copyright to their cues. It's work for right. hire. So it's usually the publisher, which is usually like the studio, or they sell it off to some yeah. major music company. and Depending on the level of the film. Like Depending on the le- yeah. If, my... if the film doesn't make any money, nobody's going to care.
0: Yeah. And like I, the f- two films I've worked on, I specifically said I, I would like to keep the rights because they're low budget. Yeah. So yeah. I... I really should have a lawyer draft the official version, but, you know, basically I'm saying like, I own the copyright, but I'm giving you a license to use this In forever. perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, that's a pretty standard thing for, for low budget, uh, you know, because just in with, case
0: you, you want to like have them performed or, you know, release it. You don't have to get their permission.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's a very fair thing to do with, um, you know, low budget stuff. It's, Budgets are just becoming lower and lower, and, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, if you don't mind, I'll talk about, I'm starting a new podcast. Yes, I was going to ask you about it. The Veteran Composer Podcast, and one of the interviews I did was um, another former teacher of mine, Mark Waters, who, six-time Emmy Award-winning composer, and his thing was that, uh, you know, any director worth their salt really should be thinking about the music early on, and, you know getting a decent budget on there. Mm-hmm. It's it's frustrating when they're, they're going to be willing to spend, you know, $100,000 on visual effects, and then the music is just a complete afterthought.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it feels kind of turned around, because it's the music that really short-circuits the emotional connection. I think it can bypass walls and bypass all the, uh, you know, it helps you suspend your disbelief for a while uh, in ways that, visual effects even can't i don't think especially since we're so used to it i mean you know my sons in the other room watching transformers and everything is just visually just crazy and realistic but now it's like yeah it's another transformer movie you know yeah you're just so used to seeing incredible visual effects and yeah and i think it takes us emotionally it gives us a lot of emotional distance from those whereas like you know we're talking about Jurassic Park that was mind-blowing to me at the time like it looks so much better than any other dinosaur i'd ever seen in any movie and it still i mean it still looks it holds up i think it's, yeah you know occasionally you see like okay that kind of looks a little yeah computery but but the visual effects served the movie the movie didn't serve the visual effects and uh, you know not to badmouth kind of these big popcorn tentpole movies but a lot of times i feel like the visual effects the movie is serving the visual effects it's like oh let's do a movie so we can do this you know yeah <laughs> uh, instead of saying what is the story here what's the point let's put a little more thought into the emotional content and that i think a yeah. big part of that is music
0: yeah uh, i'm gonna go on a little bit of a tangent here but i was thinking about um so while i was in japan i watched some japanese tv mm-hmm. and their reality tv is just hilarious <laughs> i didn't know what it's they're even saying less realistic, but it's than ours. <laughs> it's yeah it's just it's so funny um but they always seem to have these like little boxes up in the corner that have audience member reactions kind of oh, like yeah. they're showing the faces and <gasps> like how they're reacting <laughs> yeah. and i i thought about it as like this is kind of like maybe the greek chorus sort of thing like Telling the people who are listening what they should be feeling. Yeah. And I then I instantly thought back to, like, music, and that it's like music has become just this shorthand for, like, what emotions we should
1: be feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, a good composer has a lot of power to really dictate what is the emotion. But I feel like the music is a little more nuanced in the way it does it, you know? seeing somebody laugh in the corner, cueing you in that you need to be laughing, it feels like like they might as well just write on the screen, laugh right now, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas there's something that is untranslatable in the music that only gets translated through emotions. You know, I, I don't know if I'm really describing it right. It's, You know, music is not really a language. It doesn't carry clear signals as to what it's, implying you know there's a lot of a lot of scholarship on um, music as a semiotic system meaning that it it, you know what kind of messages and signals can it give you it's interesting because we have we've got standard things that we rely on you know cadences and you know standard techniques for ambiguity in the way you write modulation up by minor thirds. So we do have these kind of standard ideas about what is music capable of doing closure and you know or leaving you hanging building up tension. But that's about as far as you can go with describing. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you can't say that a cadence you hear in some Mozart piece, some person may think that it's like you're putting the dot on the sentence and another person thinks you're you're going to sleep. You know, like they mean <laughs> something different to somebody else, even though they kind of mean the same thing. Like things are ending. Yeah. So And in the
0: context of film, like I was gonna challenge you that I think some score can be very clear what the meaning is, but at the same time it's like that doesn't hold true for that score in all situations because it's always just the relationship of, yeah well like and a happy score in a scene that's supposed to be sad might just jar and like you're trying to figure out what's going on
1: yeah well like um you can always play against the picture you can play with the picture you know um but on a basic level yeah you we kind of all know what happy generally sounds like you're like you're not going to hear like you know, like these kind of short little ding, 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 ding mm-hmm. thing. is. You're not going to hear that as like really sad. You're going to hear that probably as happy. But what kind of happy? Is it excited? Yeah. Is it kind of like, eh, huh. feeling okay? You know, or is it, I just had a baby! You know, or look at the birds chirping on the branches and what a beautiful afternoon. Yeah. Like a but- lot of that kind of stuff is just left up to interpretation. And whereas a lot of the other tools that Hollywood uses it's not left up to interpretation it's very clear as to what is being said or what's being put forth so yeah. what
0: uh inspired you to start up this new podcast
1: um well i i heard that uh composer quest was leaving this spi- no. <laughs> fit <laughs> no you know i was um i wanted to just connect with other composers and in particular get down to the nuts and bolts of, of scoring and, and working for, you know, film, TV, and games. and So I just was like, you know, I'm in L.A., I'm in a position, I know how to do a podcast. And I was like, I'm just going to start calling around to the people I know and, and asking if they want to do an interview. Um, and so I've done three already, I've got a fourth one lined up. But the point is is really, you know, just more wisdom from people who are doing it. Yeah. Could
0: you give me, a like, a little... Preview snippet of what some advice is
1: that you've heard from these guys. Oh yeah, actually, you know, I was just yesterday I was editing one episode, and it's the one with uh, Mark Waters. So one of it, you know, he he made a big point. He thinks that the better you are at piano, the easier composing is and scoring, and it's so true. And I found too, part of that feeds into composing by hand to where I one of the things I don't like about composing on the computer is you're usually very much locked into what happens. If you're in your DAW and you click the record button, it's like all my creative ideas freeze at that moment. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going off a scale, you know. Whereas when you kind of separate it, there's no pressure, there's no record button. You're just kind of noodling around with ideas, but you're getting stuff down on paper. I find that my ideas are better. And in a lot of ways, it's it's really hard to compose like that with any other instrument besides piano. So that's one of the things. Um let's see, uh oh, advice for, you know, young composers trying to make it, move to LA. I guess we mm-hmm. talked about that already. Um, one of the things he says you got you should be willing to compose in a wide variety of styles. Kind of what we were talking about, the sound alikes earlier. You know, as a film composer, you will be asked to write a lot of weird stuff that you never would have thought you had to right like I had to, I was playing for you last night this this like death metal, yeah crazy thing, and I listened I liked to your technique uh, yeah Oh. compose it like a quarter of the tempo, and if you've got a clean signal from your guitar, you can speed that up, you can you know uh, compress it in your daw, and then you, if you're throwing distortion on it, you absolutely cannot tell that you didn't play it at that tempo, so I have these like amazingly fast guitar, <laughs> so do do you know. And there's no way I could ever play it, but I could play it really slow. In that same short film, I also had to do a techno piece, because, you know, in this thing, the girl goes to a club. It's like, yeah, the director could have probably just you know, gotten a track off a royalty-free site for that. That would have been probably just as good or maybe even better. But I always look at it as it's a challenge. It's a chance to kind of listen outside what you normally listen to. I don't listen to a lot of techno. But for that, I listen to a lot of techno. I never listen to death metal. And for that, I listen to as much death metal as I could handle, which was enough to get me through writing that cue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, write so, a wide variety of styles. Um oh, well, this you know, what? I thought this was actually really good. And this wasn't in the interview. This was in one of the classes. But he said make it look effortless. You don't want the director thinking you're having a tough time scoring their film. One because it's going to make them second guess their choices they're going to be mm-hmm. like, "Well, what is emotionally is something not clear here or what?" But uh but his whole thing is, you know, you're kind of the brain surgeon of music. You don't want your brain surgeon looking uncomfortable with what they're doing or not sure of like, I think I'm going to cut right here. What do you mean you think you're going to cut right there? So you just want it to be just, they don't see behind the the curtain, you know?
0: I I tried a in-person scoring session with the director mm, two mm, times. mm. It worked. It worked. Oh, that sounds painful though. Well, they, the director and producer were sitting in on it and. They were pretty good about like hanging back. Once I was like, you know, guys, you have to wait at least three minutes, <laughs> yeah. you know, to for me to actually get this idea sounding. You should have
1: just no. You should have just like gone way over the top with like your process. Like, okay, bear with me. But this is my process. <laughs> this and is my process. Started doing like a bird dance thing. <laughs> and, like, I need to channel the ideas. Everything like, okay, I think we're gonna get out of here, yeah. and we'll just get the music
0: from you later um i'm curious to uh hear about like your entrepreneurial life too because obviously film scoring is a passion Mm -hmm. but also as you were helping coach me with some entrepreneurial ideas uh this morning i thought
1: yeah yeah so it's
0: clearly your other passion
1: yeah i get really into it um back in 2011 i was still in the army I was uh, quite frustrated with my job at the time. I was a rear detachment commander in the Army, so for the most part, I had a lot of people that could not deploy to Iraq for one reason or another, which, uh, you know, when the whole unit's gone, you've got 30, 35 people left back with very little supervision in terms of, you know, a a lot of the people who would be otherwise looking after them deployed. It left a lot of room for people getting into trouble, so I have a lot of interesting stories from that time. But what I realized was that it was kind of at that point, I was like, I don't want to spend my life doing things that I don't really enjoy and that are not kind of in line with what my actual passions are. And that's when I discovered, you know, the idea of online business. And for me at the time, it was the only thing that fit. I mean, obviously I couldn't just start a brick and mortar business when I'm in the army. I had other things, but I could slowly build up a platform and that's, that's how, how it all started. And you know, I think a lot of people pursue their passions in ways that they don't think through how viable is this going to be five or 10 years from now, you know, where I always looked at it kind of the long game. I was like, what do I like to do? I like to compose. I like to think about theory. You know, how practical is it for me to build a film scoring career? Well, it's kind of practical. I'm from the LA area. And I was like, okay, so I got the location you know, I've got a lot of family support. I've got some runway from just saving up in the army. But I also knew that that was only going to get me so far and that I needed other ways to kind of hedge my bets and, and earn money from other places. So so once again, online business, it all kind of fit uh, for my mind. So I picked an online business so that would allow me to pursue my goals in a logical way. So I, I knew I had to be a better composer. So why don't I teach composition so that I become a better composer and I can earn money teaching. You know, over time I've, I've got a couple courses now, I've got the academy going, and I, I will definitely say that it's made a huge difference on my ability to compose. I mean, the fact that people send me their pieces and have me critique them on a regular basis, you end up spotting things in your own music after doing that kind of stuff. But um, one of the things that has become a passion of mine is telling other people about this possibility, you know? And I would love to see more entrepreneurial musical thinkers out there. I don't think there's enough of them. A lot of people just think, I'm going to be the best composer I'm going to be. And then I'm going to try to go out and get work composing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to work at Starbucks on the side or something. And I feel like that, it will drain you your energy level so much faster than, than doing something that you're actually passionate about. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to start... A business like mine where you're teaching composition, but doing something that you can enjoy doing for 5 or 10 years or 50 years, if that, you know. Um, And so every chance I get, I try to explain to people, like, you know, this is a real possibility. It's not just some fantasy pipe dream. I started with a blog, and I wrote articles, and I started, you know, getting people's emails. And then I put out an ebook that was like, you know, 20 bucks. And then from there, I was like, I'm going to put out a bigger course, and then I'm going to put out another course. And it just built on top of itself. It is all very organic, uh, and it's been many years in the making. You know, not many people will have the kind of early successes that a lot of times you see advertises what you're going to get. You know, it's been a hard—it's been a slugfest from the very beginning. I mean, I've learned, I've learned to code in PHP. I've learned CSS, which is the design language for the Internet. I've learned HTML, which is what presents all the information— you know, I've learned other little languages. I've learned how to manage a website. So you get all these other side skills going. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah. and you, as we were talking
0: about this morning, you're kind of, like, helping me think outside the box a little bit, too, about, like, what what I might be able to do after Composer Quest. It's like you brought up that I have these skills now of, like, working with communities to, yeah create oh, the create music set. yeah, yeah Minkino, like doing the the film score fests, and i I know that there there's maybe a potential to bring that to other
1: cities and yeah that kind of thing. yeah i I always figured you know you've got to leverage what you've done in life, you know, so if you've put in all this effort, even though that the show is ending, uh, it doesn't mean that the effects of the show end for you, you know. You've built a website, you know, you've put out podcasts, you've learned how to connect and interview people, you've learned how to get support and do a Kickstarter campaign and travel the world. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the most marketable stuff is the the bringing together people to do these live film scores. I mean, it's just a unique thing. And, you know, most people will never see this kind of stuff unless somebody brings it to them. But to me, it, it all comes down to... You know, do you see a problem that other people aren't necessarily seeing there? And can you communicate that problem to them? Because if you can communicate the problem well, that's like 80% of the battle. When somebody, you know, tells you what's really wrong with you, it hits you hard. You know, it's like, oh, you're right. <laughs> you know, but, but it also leaves an impact. And, you know, like I said, if you can identify what is it that they really need and explain that to them, I, I think... Any, a lot of ideas are marketable. So that's, that's just one of them, you know, mm-hmm. but a lot of ideas. So, John, it's
0: time for your question chain question. Uh, my previous guest had an interesting question. Okay. Uh, Sharky Chen in Taiwan yeah. said that she wanted to give you, it's not really a question, but a challenge. She was asking, would you work with her on a song?
1: yeah that sounds like fun
0: yeah she yeah she's a a punk rocker in taiwan
1: oh that'll be fun yeah so
0: (laughs) i think it'd be really cool if if you guys worked on something and then when this episode comes out yeah that'll be
1: (laughs) yeah that's fun
0: It's cool seeing your everything you're doing grow over the years that I've been in touch with you. Yeah, and it's been serendipitous. Yeah. It? Um so I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. Well, thank you.
1: And what's that called again for people who So there's the Veteran Composer Podcast, which yeah. as of recording this is not released, but I have a feeling by the time it's By the time will re- be out. out. Yep. Um yeah, and then, of course, there's the Art of Composing podcast mm-hmm. and artofcomposing.com, you know. Yeah. Kind of my home base. But, um,
0: yeah. Before I forget, though, you need to ask a question.
1: Is this the first challenge that's been leveled? It is. Yeah. Should we maintain the challenges? Or, oh, my gosh. We're or is this going to snowball and get out of hand very quickly?
0: Spiral out of control? and <laughs> A duel to the death. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. Yeah. Um, I think the ne- next person I'm going to be interviewing will be Daryl St. Blaine, who is a fire eater, and he travels around the world and does these, like, fire acts. Is he but he's composer? also a composer,
1: yeah. Oh, he is? Okay, then uh, I guess I'll start with a potential challenge, optional, if they right. want to take it. Right. Um, if they would want to do some outro music for the Veteran Composer podcast. Oh. Yeah. All right. Because I don't have outro. I I haven't done any outro music yet. I mean, something short. You know, probably something like 30 seconds. Sure. Nothing uh, too intimidating, but I think that would be kind of fun. And then I guess if they don't want to take the challenge, then maybe a question could be, um, well, this is kind of geared towards the fire eater, but how has uh, pursuing the skill of eating fire... (laughs) affected the way they compose music all right
0: i'm sure he'll have a good
1: answer for that yeah and then uh maybe the backup one i don't know if that one doesn't work but um if you had to present a piece for feedback from any composer in history what composer would you choose and what would the piece be that you give them Hmm. so that's tough is that a good question yeah
0: that's great what would you pick what would i
1: pick you know, I've written some stuff for um, string quintet and quartet that I would just love to get feedback from Mahler. I'm a Mahler guy. Hmm. I, I'm a Mahler fan. I just can't help it. You know, I don't know. I don't know if he had any composition students himself, but hmm. I can give I you. I feel
0: like a lot of composers. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't speak for them because they're all dead. But <laughs> well, <laughs> no, then, in by the all past, means. <laughs> in the past, I mean. Um, <laughs> Like, I feel like the composers we think of as, like, the big classical composers, like, I wonder if they were good at giving feedback, or if they were just, like, they just know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. So they, yeah. I I don't don't know. know. That's a good question. I mean, obviously, there's some kind of well-known lineages out there, like um, Beethoven studied with Haydn, but also Beethoven complained about Haydn. But then again, he dedicated his... I think the first three piano sonatas, or maybe it's just the first one, to Haydn. So a little bit of a mixed message there. But I imagine, I think there's a lot of um, lore and mystery around what they did. Uh, But in reality, they were professional composers that had time limits and budgets and expectations from their patrons. And so it wasn't this kind of Romantic ideal of what an artist is, you know, yeah. which kind of, I don't think anybody who's really seriously created a lot of art has been what we imagine an artist in the romantic sense is. They're more of a craftsman who can do what they do over and over and over again. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that by the time Beethoven wrote his Grossa Fugue and he was effectively deaf, he knew exactly what he was doing and was probably very much capable of explaining it to you, what he was doing. Now, would he explain it? I doubt Beethoven would take, you know, he'd be like, get out of my face. I'm not explaining my art to you. You know, mm-hmm. that's a different that's a different story. But almost all of these composers had students, you know. Uh, yeah. Mozart with, uh, what's the guy, Atwood. You know, his mm-hmm. little booklet, you can see the, the counterpoint exercises that they do. Um, and so... I think there is a lot of history of good teaching in the composing world. Yeah. Um, So. Well, John, it's been fun talking. It's a little sad. It's the last one. Uh, Well, I guess I can bring you on my show when you're a big shot film composer. Hey,
0: yeah. I'd be happy to join you. Yeah. But let's head on over to your class. Yeah, head on to class. Jeff Goldblum. And then Jeff Goldblum. concert. (laughs) And then
1: maybe we'll do a follow-up at the the concert. Yeah. We'll see if we can meet. Maybe him. Jeff Goldblum wants to discuss music with us. Who knows? Oh, that would be amazing. We'll bring the we'll mics. Bring, we'll bring, yeah, we'll bring the
0: recorder. Yeah. And uh, see what we can get. At least a selfie. <laughs> at least a selfie, exactly. <laughs> All right, John. Yes. We're on the road. We just, uh, we're at your class for part of it. And yeah,
1: then, yeah. And now we're skipping class. We're skipping class. See... playing hooky. Yep. I'm pumped up. We listened to the one track. Jeff Goldblum has on iTunes. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So, your class was cool.
0: Your professor's like super laid back. And, yeah. Uh, the topic of the day was compression. Yes, very exciting. Yeah. What was the biggest takeaway for for you? Um. Was I ratio? liked his metaphor of um, compression as like someone on a trampoline. Yes. And hitting different types of materials on the ceiling like if, if the ceiling's too low they're just going to be squashed uh, but if it's a they're hitting a bed of
1: yeah well, like feathers he had, so you got the the ceiling height is the threshold mm-hmm. and then he had all the ratios so like one to one was air two to one is feathers what was it? three to one was I think rubber yeah something like uh, that like four to one was balsa wood interesting choice but I get it I get yeah. it Uh, And then 5 to 1 was wood. And then after that, the differing hardnesses, in my mind, I was like, "Is metal really harder than concrete if you're hitting your head (laughs) on it. Yeah. (laughs) I think, for me, like, compression took the
0: longest time to wrap my head around the concept and also to actually hear the results. Yeah, yeah. So, but I also liked his description of, like, there's two ways to approach it. Either aesthetically or as a utility item
1: yeah that was I thought that was really good too well how are you feeling about this concert coming up um, um, I think it's going to be life changing <laughs> yeah no I think I it's going to so. be good I think it's going to be really entertaining and yeah. if he does perform here on a regular basis then I think we're going to keep coming because uh, yeah. 25 bucks is actually really reasonable yeah for a good concert
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm right now working on very little sleep, like maybe 45 minutes in over 24 hours. But I had my first espresso, actually double shot of espresso ever. I'm not a coffee drinker, but hey. But now you are. I needed it. Yeah. I think once we get there, I won't need it because I feel like Jeff Goldblum will be Super he's, entertaining. He he is an espresso shot. Ah <laughs> uh, man, we are so building this up. And <laughs> he's gonna be like after the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, see you later. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm out of here. Really no. get a picture of Jeff Goldblum yes we are I don't think he's going to be able to say hi I don't know to why not it's going to be a quick yeah quickie. we're just like mobbing him I know. next to the stage
1: uh-huh. well, that's Talked what he said so many people he's good he's yeah really good yeah he's good. the band is great the drummer is amazing I really yeah. like the drummer Congratulations, you're first, isn't
2: it?
3: What oh, was your second? Do you have a name for the baby? No. Okay. A girl's name. Well, I like boys' names for girls, like, you know,
4: Yeah, Andy or, you know, yeah. Don't figure it. Don't go for that. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs>
1: you, yeah. a
3: photo? you look like a young man from you? Tony Roberts. Tony oh, Roberts, Tony Roberts, Roberts, Roberts me? ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes.
5: Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, would you be willing to say hi to my podcast listeners yep. really quickly? Hi to your podcast. Yes. yes.
5: Hello, hello, podcast people. Your 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 great host is
3: named um, Charlie. Charlie. That's the same name as my son, Charlie. So I have <laughs> a special fondness for your, oh, your podcast, Charlie. Well, Very handsome you. man. You can't see him, but he looks like I just told him a young, handsome, sort of bonsai version of Tony Roberts, <laughs> uh, the wonderful actor in many Woody Allen movies.
0: Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor.
3: Two. It's a greater honor for me. Thank you.
0: Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Thank, Good
1: Thank man. you. Thank you. That's going to be
0: that. <laughs> that was about I as awesome as video. it could have been, been. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think it could have gone. I have to look up who he was talking about.
1: Thank you. I know that's true. Some <laughs> guy of a bunch of Woody Allen movies. Are, we is. should probably know we that. I feel probably. like he's going to be disappointed in us that we don't. But that's okay.
2: No. Woo!
0: <laughs> yeah. We did it. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> All right, I'm going to save this before save it. something save. happens. Yeah, no, 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 don't lose that. Uh. That's, that's with gold. <laughs> Right, John. So that, was, that was, was amazing. A success. Yeah, that was a big success. Uh, yeah. Well, I uh, just wanted to say thanks again for hosting me.
1: It's been a lot of fun. It has been. And uh, thank you for finding the concert. I think it was uh, definitely a pleasant surprise. Yeah. And I was really impressed with Jeff Goldblum's ability to control the crowd. He had a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. Super classy. Very classy. Uh, Very funny. Anybody in LA definitely recommend checking out Jeff Goldblum's set.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks, John. Thank you.
6: Is now being recorded. Hello, hey Charlie, how's it going?
5: Good. Jeff Schwinghammer, haven't talked to you in uh, a couple weeks, I think.
6: Yeah, n- uh, not since you left to go to the other side of the world. Yeah, and now I'm
5: back in America.
6: <laughs> uh, whereabouts?
5: Uh, I'm actually driving to your old neighborhood. Of the Bay Area of California.
6: Nice. Are you visiting someone up there? Yeah.
5: Uh, first stop is with Daryl St. Blaine, who's, uh, he's been helping support the show as a patron and Kickstarter backer. And, yeah, he seems like a really interesting guy. He travels the world and eats fire and does a bunch <laughs> of fire <laughs> tricks. So, that's awesome
2: yeah.
5: <laughs> he always sends me these pictures and one of them was him with a fire whip and uh, an amazing costume and I'm curious to see like what, what his life is like as a traveling fire person
6: yeah it seems like he's kind of in the right place right now being in the Bay Area
5: yeah? is that uh, the place where all the fire eating people go?
6: Uh, there's a lot of fire arts up there, uh, because it's, there's a lot of, uh, people who go to Burning Man, that come from San, oh, San Francisco. Oh,
5: yeah. And Burning Man, for people who don't know, is like, people go out into the desert and do a bunch of crazy art stuff and get naked and, I don't know, you've, you've been there
6: how many times? Uh, about five times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a big well, festival, so you have music, you have art, you have, like, anything you can think of, and mostly things you have never thought of. It's that out there.
5: Cool. It was pretty funny when I heard you were going to that for the first time, because, uh, I don't know, like, you are you are an adventurous person, but the Jeff Schwinghammer I knew in college, I wouldn't expect to... Uh, go out to this crazy art festival in the desert necessarily.
6: I I I don't know if I would have expected it either and I'm really happy that I did. And I definitely can tell how much of an influence the years, you know, of going there and then also living in the Bay Area, all these things that kind of overlap. And I feel like I'm very much a different person than I was in college or
5: have you taken a personality test like Myers Briggs?
6: Uh, yeah. I've done Myers Briggs.
5: Do you remember what your personality profile is?
6: Yeah, it was INTJ.
5: Which means, uh, what exactly?
6: Uh, what? if I remember correctly, I stands for introvert, and introvert stands for intuitive, T stands for thinking, and J stands for judging.
5: Do you know, like, in terms of, like, overall broad picture, what that means for your personality?
6: It's, um, with all of these categories, there are all these types or an archetype assigned to them, and so I've, the one I read was uh, scientist, so definitely you know, it kind of speaks to having an analytical mind. Uh, you know, thinking, uh, not necessarily, you know, being out there and talking to a bunch of people because of the introvert side. Um, it's about kind of, like, kind of dealing with one's intuition. Yeah, so thinking is over feeling, so I, I tend to like kind of go a little bit more rational with my thoughts. But, you know, it's, there's definitely a spectrum there.
5: Yeah, I, I just took the test, like, two days ago, and I, I've taken it several times, and I always get a different answer. Oh,
6: really?
5: Yeah. Uh, I think because, like, I, I end up, like, kind of in the middle on a lot of them. Um, okay. Like, the last time I took it, I was extroverted, and this time it was introverted, and, like, all the different things are changed but <laughs> so this time i got infp so oh. feeling perceiving but um i think the description matched me like pretty well the archetype is the mediator so like some of the characteristics are creative kind of more interested in big picture dreaming things versus, like, planning ahead or, yeah, preference for improvising and... But, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like whatever mood or situation you're in really affects how you answer these questions because, like, I, I kind of feel like on this road trip, I've been improvising a lot. I Obviously, I had a big arc in mind, um, but a lot of this tour is just me, like, Scheduling things at the last second and trying to make things happen.
6: Hmm. Um, Which is so, really good, right? Because it's kind of like maybe the myers big stuff is kind of your normal, your, your neutral, or like where you where your comfort is maybe, and then like you're in the situation where you're not normally doing those things. So they're kind of pushing you into your discomfort zone.
5: Yeah, I think so. The other part that uh, the mediator wants is um, meaningful work. Hmm. I've been kind of like thinking about that lately. And I think of it in both ways. Like, is the work meaningful to me? And is it like meaningful within the world at large? But I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel like doing a career in the arts is sometimes more self meaningful than like meaningful in the world versus like a teacher or a scientist, maybe. Um, but I don't know. What are your thoughts?
6: Oh, that's a big topic. Uh, I'm trying to figure that out myself in a lot of ways, right? That like, I mean, you got to find yourself in your arts regardless, you know, you got to be able to uh, connect with it. It kind of depends on what you're doing, right? Like, do you have a socially uh, motivated goal as well, you know, to make people laugh, to educate people, to illuminate the darkness? Like, all of those things help the world, and maybe that overlaps with what your art is. Um, And sometimes, or maybe very often, art can be just a very personal experience that doesn't need to fulfill the requirement of being good for the world. But ironically or paradoxically, it could be good for the world as long as it's good for you because if your art is helping you in some way or helping you express something or working through something, that will improve your ability to interact with the world.
5: Yeah. Well, I didn't think about it that way that, like, You are, in a way, improving yourself and becoming a better person, hopefully, in the process. But there's always the argument, like, that art is just, in general, good for the world, that it'll bring joy or a sense of purpose to other people's lives. But, you know, maybe that's a little high-minded, because sometimes art doesn't, I don't know, it's, it's easier to look at, oh, look, this doctor just saved someone's life versus, like, oh, this song entertained me for, like, three minutes.
6: <laughs> yeah, but maybe there's that song that spoke to you on a very deep level, right? Like, not art is all equal to all people, right? So, some song might right. be... Needed. In fact, both for Dylan and not to another. Um I mean, it's it's a tall stakes thing to compare it with, you know, to being a doctor, right? Yeah, I mean, you can make that comparison about anything, right? You know, saving your life versus accounting versus technology, programming or writing, or you know, anything, right? So there's always something you can compare it to, and Maybe that comparison's not there.
5: Yeah, I I think it is. I mean, in a way, I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate, but <laughs> but it's yeah, a, sure. an interesting topic, though that warrants some further discussion. But uh, yeah, we'll, totally. We'll have to chat more, maybe for my final episode when I when I'm back in Minnesota.
6: All right, sounds good. We can go for the both round two of this conversation and. Closing out the quest.
5: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it feels good to be back on the road in the U.S. Nice. Because uh, I I had the initial excitement about, as I was flying back from Asia, uh, I was feeling like, yes, I'm so excited to get back to the U.S. And then I got to L.A. And then I realized, like, Oh, darn, the trip is coming to an end almost. But getting back on the road makes me really excited and I have some snacks and Gatorade. So Nice. I'm all set.
6: That's really good, man. Really soak it up. And enjoy the drive back.
5: Thanks. Well we'll talk to you soon, Jeff.
6: Alright, talk to you soon, Charlie.
0: Do you have any advice for someone who's, like, on the verge of being comfortable with performing their stuff for the first time?
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, I had kind of a revelation a little bit ago that,
1: you know, if I'm going to be singing out for people and making records and committing to do this, and that's kind of silly that this is a revelation to me, but to just sing and play with conviction. If you believe in what you're performing and you care about it, then chances are your audience will care about it too. I guess I had too many experiences where I'd play a show and then I wasn't happy with it because I didn't give all that I had. And, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer thing. I mean, if you don't bring it, people are going to be bored.
4: Should we use our announcer voices?
0: Oh, you can. You have a great announcer voice. My announcer voice. (laughs) Well, uh... I'm here at Daryl St. Blaine
4: in Fremont, California. Right. Who's heard in- of that place? Anybody heard of Fremont? Probably not.
0: I don't know. But essentially, like, kind of at the bottom of the bay of... Right. The bottom the- of
4: San Francisco. Some people would consider it that. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: But, yeah, we're we're here in your home studio, which is filled with... Well, your home in general is filled with cool stuff. <laughs> Weird, Weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I walked into your bathroom, uh, which is decorated as, like, an island getaway. And as soon as you turn the light on, your music starts mm-hmm. uh, on on the speakers, like Beach
4: Boys and... Right. Appropriate island music, yeah.
0: Yeah. Your life in general seems, like, somewhat magical. Mm, yeah. Because, um, well, for one you do fire breathing and fire eating fire dancing right.
4: all those things your mother told you not to do
0: yeah. yeah and you and your wife do this together as right fire pixie she is. is
4: she is fire pixie we like started this way back when and she was fire pixie and i was sparky but um, she was the one who decided to start the company so she got to name it so it's called fire pixie That's... which is a better name than sparky.com i mean come on
0: yeah <laughs> so in addition to that your wife Erin does like costume gigs going out and
4: bright. Right. Doing... She's a princess, she's a mermaid. Yeah. Yeah. She was a vampire tonight in fact.
0: Yeah. So what what like inspired you guys to do all this stuff?
4: Inspired. Um we we saw fire dancing for the first time together and we just looked at each other and said, "Wow. We have to do that. Not uh we're going to do this for the rest of our life and build a big business empire out of it." But we had to do it as entertainers, as performers. We're just both born performers. We from childhood both of us were show offs. And what a what better way than, you know, playing with fire to show off?
0: So what have you learned like through your performing as a fire dancer that translates
4: to the music performance side? Well, I have a lot more confidence. Uh like when I I was been in bands since i was you know a teenager and went up and down with kind of like ooh, getting nervous like sometimes nervous is fun sometimes nervous like gets in the way of of your performance and sometimes you know you your biggest audience was 30 people and next time your biggest audience is 100 people and all of a sudden you're nervous again and so i've done a lot of performing over the years as a fire dancer to really giant crowds and to really small crowds, which also is kind of a nervous making sort of thing. You know, you think of yourself like, oh, I, you know, I used to having hundreds of people in my audience, and suddenly you're doing a a show for four people. I was actually kind of more nervous at that show when all of a sudden, unexpectedly, there's just four people here to see this show that we normally do for larger audiences. With a little more perspective, I actually realized that what I just needed to do is be myself because that's really what I'm best at. Like some people are better at being someone else and I'm really best at just being myself, which is kind of silly and irreverent. Uh, When you're on stage, you have to make everything big. And um, that's kind of true from even a musician's point of view. If you just stand there and you seem very small, even if you have a big voice, people need you to be visually big when you're on this big stage. Even if the big stage is only 10 feet across, you need to take up some space, or it seems unnatural to your audience. But when you're working close, if you're you know in a chair on the floor with your audience and you're close, you can make eye contact. Whereas if you're on a stage, you almost have to pretend more when you're on stage. Yeah.
0: So you've been composing music for different shows you've been putting on, right, with your wife Erin's, what's it called? Tissue. Tissue. Aerial tissue, yeah. So that's, like, where she wraps herself in fabric and Mm -hmm. does all these cool tricks. Yeah, imagine, like, a
4: big, long stream of fabric that goes up 20 feet to the ceiling, and she climbs it and wraps up in it and does acrobatic moves and these spectacular drops, and then the tissue catches her, like... Four inches off the ground that 's all very dramatic, and I wrote a fair amount of music for her performances, yeah how do you approach that it's actually it's actually kind of fun it 's an interesting kind of uh, collaboration. She would kind of build a framework of the performance you know she knew she wanted you know so much time to climb and so much time to do certain kinds of moves and so then I would come up with some motifs, and I would play those for her, and oh, she'd like that one or not that one, and and then we might go back and forth a little bit about the tempo, and then eventually she's performing it to the music, and it's working pretty well, and then we we, we put in the, the sugar coating, you know, there needs to be a, a cymbal splash here, right when she makes this dramatic thing, and there needs to be a little, you know, tinkle that kind of precedes this, and... That's actually kind of my favorite part, is when I watch her performing to the music I've written, and then I just see those last few touches, which um, sometimes they're just to kind of cue the audience into, like, something is about to happen, or something is happening. It's amazing how much a cymbal crash can do to a live performance. Uh, I've seen so many performers who sometimes brilliant performances, but simply because the music did not support the performance it came across much weaker and isn't that like a amadeus thing you didn't even give them a good bang so they knew when to clap sort of thing and it it sounds degrading when you put it like that but it's really true mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's yeah. really true like when it, especially if an audience is on the edge of their chair watching something exciting or kind of scary you know here's this woman hanging up there 30 feet off the ground you don't know if she's going to fall to her doom or whatever To suddenly have the music reinforce this surprising, dramatic, visual movement is really impactful.
0: I'm guessing you've written some music for your, your own
4: fire dancing? Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we we always kind of start off with a thematic target. Uh, we say, this is going to be a, a romantic fire eating duet. <laughs> or uh, this is going to be a, like a really high energy, you know, EDM dance club kind of thing because, you know, we're doing the show for, you know, the college crowd or whatever. The choreography is like 80% of our show, we do the same choreography every night. 20% of it varies. But people perceive it very differently simply because of the music and the costumes and the way we characterize, you know, the performance.
0: Hmm. Mm hmm So, Daryl, as you probably know, I have a question chain going from guest to guest. And my last interviewee, John Brantingham, had a question for you, but he also had an optional composing challenge for you if you choose to accept. And he was wondering if you'd be interested in writing some outro music for his new podcast, which is called the Veteran Composer Podcast.
4: Can there be, like, clown horns and... <laughs> That's probably what he... Banana peel sliding sounds, things like that. Yeah, I mean, you could try and push the
0: limit and okay. see what how <laughs> how bad you can make it before he says, no, this is not going to happen. Quest fails. I'll leave that to you. Okay. I'll to figure out with John. That sounds fun. His question, though, is he knew that you were going to be my next interviewee because I told him, oh, yeah, I have a fire eater coming on the show, fire dancer. And he was wondering, like, how have your fire skills, how has learning that influenced the way you compose music?
4: I don't have an association between fire and composing, but I would say there's a definite influence with dance and composing. I've always been a, a kind of kinesthetic person, you know, very in my body. I studied martial arts a long time ago, and there came a point where I I did start to feel the music more kinesthetically. I might be sitting here in front of my keyboard writing music but there comes a point when the feel of holding still on stage or the feeling of moving quickly and dramatically on stage definitely inspired the music that I was writing because I knew that I would be doing that and I realized that I was choreographing the dance almost at the same time that I was writing the music oh um in a Were general you physically, way
0: physically like Kind of moving around as you're at the
4: keyboard. You look very so. ape like what you're doing right now. Well, that- <laughs> <laughs> ape like. Is this what you think of me as I dance? Yeah, probably. Well, yeah. I was trying to figure, I was trying
0: to see what, how you could actually dance while playing piano. I was probably
4: like throwing my head around mm-hmm. a lot. Um,
0: so when you're doing these tracks that have specific timing for like these
4: pauses and stuff, are you using like a metronome at all when you're recording? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, With electronic music, it tends to be very metronomical. You know, it pretty much sticks to the beat. If there's a moment that needs to draw out, then, you know, I'll just change the tempo within the project. And then other times, they're they're much more freeform, and I just have to start off with a bass track where I'm just performing with feeling and not using a metronome. It's just more musical. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have a favorite piece that you've
4: written? Oh, probably come down to one of two pieces. One of them was actually our, our wedding dance. We we decided to get married back in 2008 and we were taking lessons from an a aerial tissue instructor and we were working up this duet but the, the thing was it, it starts off just like this simple little like oh first dance you know. And then, all of a sudden, the music changes dramatically. And the tissue falls from the ceiling, and Erin rips the skirt off of her wedding dress, (laughs) and I lift her up, and and then it all begins. And this was all done, created, and practiced, rehearsed. In secret, nobody knew we were doing this except for our tissue instructor. And it went off without a hitch. It was it was just fabulous. So I wrote the music to that. So, yeah, after that big long story, I'll, I'll say that that's my favorite piece. All right. Nice. Well, what was the second one going to be, though? Well, the second one um, was another piece that I wrote for a tissue performance that I, I, I didn't perform in. It was Erin and her um, partner Miriam the two of them are on the same tissue at the same time doing these really intricate partner moves. It's in three movements and it starts off with one performer on the tissue. So Miriam's on the tissue first and she has her own theme. (laughs) she comes down and Aaron's on the tissue by herself and she has her own theme and then they're both on the tissue together and there's a you know a final third theme which is a melding of the motifs
0: From like the two ideas combined from the beginning, and then you like separated them out, or
4: did you no, just no, it, see it, it what... was very much coming up with Miriam's theme and Aaron's theme, and then I, I, it was a bit of a struggle to come up with the combined third act music. But um I remember really, really enjoying writing the music, and then seeing how. Their choreography was evolving, I think there was only one point in there where they wanted to do something really different that kind of ticked me off <laughs> <laughs> right because you have you have a part just right, oh, and it makes it makes perfect sense musically, and it, it really supports the choreography that they've shown you so far, and then you know it's like you get a new edit for a movie or something, yeah. and your favorite part suddenly just landed on the cutting room floor uh,
0: and... yeah, but that's why you just have to do ambient music for everything
4: and oh, then you can just fade it between yeah. <laughs> no no. <laughs> I am much more of the heavy handed I, 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 I can imagine that if what somebody wanted was just something kind of light and flowing that didn't really lock in with the performance of the movie I probably wouldn't be the right guy for that mm. job
0: well I don't want to forget the other composer quest tradition if you're up for it a composer quest theme ca- for the episode. Can it would you
4: be kazoo music?
0: Sure. Okay. Maybe there's been one guy who did a kazoo. Oh, okay. So that's not I feel like two kazoos it's, yeah. is too does much. It doesn't need to be done <laughs> again. Well, Daryl, thanks again for having me over here and uh thanks for all the support, Patreon, Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, you've that's been, right. You've been one of
2: my loyal yeah. Yeah, I've been in backers, so oh, I appreciate
4: it. it. You're a fun guy. I like listening to you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Composer Quest, I'll be right back. <laughs> or
2: maybe not. <laughs>
0: I'm out to breakfast with Daryl and Aaron. Hey, guys. Hey. (laughs) And you keen podcast listeners will realize that I forgot to do one very important thing in our interview last night with Daryl, and that's to have Daryl ask a question for the next guest to keep the chain going. So, Daryl, what do you think?
4: Okay. My, My question is, I want you to just decide... Right now, what's the next thoroughly wacky musical experiment? Just decide, right? Is, you're, gonna, you're gonna play some instrument that you've never played before or whatever. Just make it up right now. The next thoroughly wacky musical experiment you're gonna perform. All right.
0: Cool. Well, thanks, guys, again for hosting me. It's, it's been fun. Yeah, thank you. Here with Dan Jenstad. Howdy, uh, podcast
3: listeners. Yeah. Dan, where are we right now? We are at
4: Anonymous Tech Company
3: headquarters in Mountain View, California. Yes. And we just had a delicious lunch. Yeah. For people who don't know our
0: background, which is probably 99% of people listening. Hi, Matt. <laughs> yeah, our, our Composer Quest artist, Matt Shuby, he knows Dan really
3: well because you guys are both. Graphic yeah. design friends, mm-hmm. although you met before you... We knew. met in college. Um, we were sitting in the same sociology class, and we noticed we were both drawing in our notebooks. I think he was drawing, like, a T-Rex, somebody riding a T-Rex or something, and we just, we just started, like, commenting on each other's stuff and became fast friends. And that's how I met Charlie. You were in a band with, with Shub's Analog... Yes. For, <laughs> ...for a number of years. Yeah. So I remember coming to some practices and... Uh, at one point, I actually was, like, really nervous because I think Andy, the bass player, couldn't make a show. And it's like, hey, Dan, could you learn bass? Oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> I about like, that. was like, um, sure. Like, I really hesitantly agreed, knowing that I'd probably not be able to do it. Yeah. You would have been a fun bandmate, though, I
0: think. That would have been fun. <clears throat> but we did actually make music together then. We did. Years later. We did. And I was... I was doing a song a week project where I would produce a song by one of my friends each week, and I was like, "Hey, Dan, I know you're secretly doing some music that no one ever hears. <laughs> this is true, but that song in transit, that, that one ended up being
3: probably my favorite track, really, actually. like so Thank you. yeah, it, <laughs> it kind of came out of something cliche as like. I was coming out of a breakup, <laughs> it's like, God, what do I write a song about? And, I'm like, uh, I'm supposed to record with Charlie in, like, a week. I was like, crap. I forgot you wrote it that quickly. I was even writing, I think, like, the the second verse while we were there. Like, we recorded a verse or something like that. Oh, yeah. And then, like, <laughs> you were messing around with something, and I just went out in the living room. I was like, I need to, like, finish this thing. <laughs> I think I like, the rough draft of the second verse, and I was just... I needed, like, another stanza or, like, another couple lines to, like, make it fit and I just luckily, like, got it to work out within our time frame because I was like, I can't make Charlie stay up until, like, 4 a.m., <laughs> which we probably but did I, anyway. Yeah, we probably did. Trance, it was pedantic I got lost in the semantics All the rules and how to travel Ties started
2: to unravel, just a train wreck
3: in a
7: time work myself right off the track. But
2: I'm suited for destruction, so there's no route for
0: turning back. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure I did a music production lesson on that track. Oh, did you um, it, on the podcast before? Yeah, oh my gosh. one of the episodes. Like, I couldn't tell you which one, but I any of my loyal fans
3: <laughs> oh, no. could find it
0: uh, and tell me which, which episode that was. But
3: have you been doing any songwriting lately? Um, nothing to the same extent as that. I mean, I'll I'll mess around a little bit with like a chord progression, or if I'm like learning a song and I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of nice, I might like sit down and write for a little bit, but. For me, at least lately, it's been, like, I get home from work and I just need to unwind, so I'll, like, learn some new songs that I really like, and occasionally, like, Shubes and I will record them on our phone and, like, send them to each other just to, like, oh, nice. have, like, a kind of a captive audience. <laughs> a very limited but captive audience. That's cool. So <laughs> of the, like, few
0: song ideas you've had, like... Do you think the songs you're writing are in the style
3: yeah. of stuff you like listening to, or is it... A... I think so, generally speaking. Like, the musical style, I would say yes. In the lyrical style, I think I struggle a little bit with, like, kind of overwriting and, like, trying to make it sound bigger than it is or something. And, like, not everything has to sound super inflated. And, like, I, <laughs> when I was growing up, I would write poetry and writing all these big flowery things, make, trying to make it sound really important and stuff like that. And I think there's, there's a lot of interesting things that come out of someone that just writes, writes really honestly and doesn't try to, like, butter things up and mm. and stuff like that, so. That's interesting. Because, yeah, you think of poems as
0: always being, like, an enhanced reality sort of, mm-hmm. or,
3: or, I don't know, flowery language or...
2: not.
0: That yeah, they have to and, be, and
3: they probably... Yeah, and, but, I, and by no means do I want to disparage that. So it's just like, when I'm doing it, I feel yeah. like, well, this doesn't seem very sincere. <laughs> like, when I'm doing it, it's like, I feel like when, it, when I'm writing it down, it needs to be, sound more direct. Yeah. Well, and I think, like, poetry on a page, when it's
0: more realistic or dry or just more honest like that... Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's better in song form, in a way. Like, if you want it to be expressive and emotional. Yeah. Like, it's more maybe the delivery of the
3: melody that's on those... To show emphasis on on something or... Yeah, like, the the pause between the words or something can, like... Yeah. Be that flowery part of the... Yeah. What you're trying to communicate. It's
0: kind of like reading film scripts, too, because... If you look at it, like, the dialogue is very simple and pretty boring. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just, like,
3: everything I love surrounding you. it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. See, so if you read that, you'd be like, okay. I get to, like, <laughs> you get people performing it, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah. Yep. Good one, Han Solo. Way to improvise. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I still always come back to the idea, too, that like, dialogue in any script or, you know, novel or anything. It's, like, it's better if people don't say exactly what they're feeling or thinking.
3: Yeah. Like, too much exposition. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a sad guy today. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. Or in the Harry Potter movies
0: when they have to always say, like... A horcrux? What's that? <laughs>
3: oh, let me explain oh, it. Oh, you mean one of those seven things bound to Voldemort's soul that we have to destroy in order to destroy him? <laughs> yes, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but anyways, that's a tangent. Uh, I, I have a question for you. I've been okay. watching, or watching, I've been listening to this podcast called Our Debut Album. Oh. They try to make a hit song within one hour. And they're like kind of, they're very comedic. So, what what's kind of your view on writing with the intention of being maybe funny or tongue in cheek versus mm. being more honest? Oh, that's a good question. Because I've actually been kind of doing that on this trip
0: because, like, I have these song prompts from Kickstarter backers, mm-hmm. and I've been like collaborating with people on the road, and I've tried to record a doing it live and coming up with it and it usually takes about
3: an hour it sounds like so much pressure it's it
0: is and especially the fact that we're recording it too in terms of your question of like a serious song versus comedic song comedic songs or tongue-in-cheek songs i think i can whip out way faster (laughs) like usually they're kind of dumb because it doesn't matter if you make really dumb rhymes. <laughs> That's, like, the main thing. You can make it a good-sounding yeah. song because you can rhyme everything and
3: just have the dumbest ever rhymes. Yeah, because, like, I mean, comedy in its essence is just not supposed to be taken seriously. Yeah. So it's like, if you're writing a serious song and it doesn't come off serious, you you might feel like you failed, but if you write a comedic song and, I mean, you get a laugh, you're like, yes, success. Yeah. <laughs> Well,
0: I'm hoping that all the jingles I've written for this podcast over the years will just, <laughs> like,
3: someday land me a, a gig writing terrible <laughs> Are you going to be, like, jingles? Charlie Sheen from Two and a Half Men? Yes. <laughs> Wasn't that Jingle. his job yeah. on that show?
0: Well, I have a question from my past guest who I just talked to, um, and his question is basically, what's, like, a new crazy project that you want to experiment with oh man
3: I would like outside of music I would like to like get into more tactile things like woodworking I think it would be really mm-hmm. fun <laughs> I'd probably start simple with like building a lawn game or something it just <laughs> takes like a couple saw cuts yeah well Dan I need a question for from you for the next guest let's see when When you're having kind of a creative lull, what's something that helps bring you back out of that?
0: Hmm. yeah
3: what do you do when you're like on a deadline here and you get <laughs> cry a little bit <laughs> um, yeah, we just kind of like band together like we've created like little war rooms and stuff like that like just get everyone like aligned and Get really clear on our goals and everything. That sounds so corporate. <laughs> All stuff. And then we have a, a meeting of the minds. And, oh, gosh. Um, yeah. great. That's great. That's a it, good strategy, yeah. though. Just like. Get everyone like, yeah. together, same yeah. room.
0: So, what are you doing here at?
4: Anonymous Tech Company.
0: Is like graphic designing, but what have you learned in working here that you think might translate just? broadly to like what people like tips on creativity
3: that you've learned here uh, I think here I've had to be more okay with completely starting over like throwing something away I think in like past jobs like in the design area you, like, I was at agencies before and it was like we pitch an idea like we come up with it in like a couple days to a week or two weeks or whatever and then you are off and running on that idea very rarely does that get, like, the kibosh uh, is put on that. But here it's, like, not being as afraid to just be like, you know, I, th- I think maybe we went in the wrong direction here. Let's rewind a week. Let's rewind six months. Like, maybe there's something else we can do and being okay throwing it away, hmm. knowing that, you know, if, if you end up going down that path again, you'll probably do it better the second time. Or we've explored this area we can say, for sure, this is not right for the thing we're doing. Mm -hmm. Are you ever sad if, like,
0: you... I'm I'm assuming, like...
4: Anonymous Tech Company
0: owns whatever creations you've made. I think so. so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, like, too nervous to put anything on my site anyway, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That'd be kind of sad, though, if you created, like, this really cute character. Like, I don't know (laughs) what kind of (laughs) graphic design you're doing here, but... Well, Dan, it's been awesome hanging with you here. yeah I'm glad I'm glad you swung by it, yeah <laughs> How do you say your last name? I Staten, forgot to ask you. Staten. It's like Satan with an extra T. Okay. Well, I'm here with Nick Staten in San Jose, California. We just had a great meal of crepes and, uh, and omelets. omelets and yeah. Spilled milk all over my phone. <laughs> it's a
2: good
8: time.
0: I feel, I feel bad. If I had showed up on time, maybe that, that wouldn't have been yeah. the case. I did
8: curse your name. Damn you, John.
0: So, we kind of resisted, like, the nerdy music talk during our meal. I promised you I would not talk about
8: my ooey (laughs) while we were eating.
0: Yeah. So, now you're free. Tell me. Okay. So, so electronic wind instrument. Yes. Um, You're not a wind player, though? I'm not a wind player, but I'm
8: slowly becoming one, I think. I mostly compose out of the box. um, Bedroom composer. And I found that the ooey is a huge productivity game. Um, because there's a truck <laughs> we are just and there's a bark, a barking dog. Now, um, if I'm playing a cello, if I'm playing a legato passage on a violin, it doesn't sound natural if I just press the key and have it go... When you're actually playing something, it has more of a life to it. And when you're playing with the Oui, you can actually perform velocity changes within that instrument. So rather than having to go in and draw velocity, I can actually just perform it. So it saves me time, and it just sounds more natural.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I had thought about that at one point um, before I knew those things actually existed. Mm I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could make like a straw. Or maybe, I don't know where I got the idea but well they do have the, the. you can some MIDI controllers
8: have a breath controller input oh or something just... like it in the back and you can just really get a straw and plug it into the back and there's with Vienna especially I think you can uh, program it so you can use it as a breath controller that's cool um, you don't really need a U I to do that yeah
2: uh,
0: <laughs> it's a, there's a much cheaper alternative yeah for sure So, we should um, tell people, like, how we met. Because uh, this is our first actual in-person meeting, but my good friend Jeff Schwinghammer, who is a big part of this podcast season, because I've been doing these, like, check-ins with him on the Mm -hmm. phone... I uh, met Jeff at a uh, murder mystery party
8: in San Francisco. And we got in touch because he was in need of music and i was in need of some place to put my music yeah and we did a series of projects together and we still work together to this day and charlie did some uh, audio post for us did a great job yeah and we've thanks, done that yeah. a few times
0: right yeah now, i think well it's so, always been fun like mixing your music because it just works so well in the short films we've been doing you can't see it over a podcast, but I'm beat red right now. So, <laughs> I'm blushing. Uh, uh, well, no, I mean, I remember so, like, the last one, I think, that we worked on was called In Bed. It was, like, a short film right. about bulimia. And that final scene kind of gave me the chills, even though I had heard it like, mm-hmm. I had heard the music over and over. But then once everything was mixed together and um, yeah, it's such a nice effect when you can take everything out except the music, and it works. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what I did in that scene, was, like, all the... just took everything else, the Nat sound, the yeah. room tone, all that stuff, you just yeah. took it out and just left the music? I think so, yeah, just kind of like a nice fade out of everything. And then when the music's good, then it's, like, really hits you. You get that focus...
5: You have just done such an amazing job with these kids. Oh, that's really nice. Please, it's the least I can do.
8: It's so nice having someone I trust doing editing and mixing of my music, knowing that it's going to be handed off. I'm not the last person on the, the train. Right. Is always good.
0: I think it's just good in general to have two people on it. Right. Just for a couple ears. years. Definitely. Um, I'm sure you've caught weird things I've done.
8: <laughs> you get all the I subliminal know, I messages I, I weave oh, into Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's why you're wearing red today. <laughs> I always whisper things in the compositions. <laughs> yeah. D- don't tell anyone. That's my secret. That's your. Yeah, I give plugs to my own website in my compositions. Wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. www.nixtango.
0: So Nick, tell me about mm-hmm. like how you became a composer because it was it wasn't your major in undergrad. Right. All right. Uh, Or it was at first, right? Yes, I flip-flopped yeah, between the uh, intersecting worlds of composition and archaeology. Good
4: morning. Good good morning. morning. How's it going? Got a little hamster there or
0: something? (laughs) Oh, no, this is my uh, microphone. We're just doing a little podcast recording.
4: Oh, okay.
0: That's a cute little dog.
8: He's a good little guy. Sweet sweater.
0: It kind of looks like my sweater, (laughs) (laughs) color-wise. Yeah, you too.
8: All right. What were you talking about? Uh, Hamsters?
0: (laughs) So, you were going to be a music major. Yes. What was your piano performance? I think composition was sort of where
8: I was headed, but there was no focus. It was just, uh, I was in junior college. Uh, That institution made it seem like performance was the only avenue, but it's not really what I wanted to do. At the time, I was living with my dad because I was... Sixteen, I actually dropped out of high school and went right into community college. Oh, you did? Uh, And he had GarageBand on his Mac in the basement. And so I'd just be up all night screwing around in GarageBand. That's really what got me interested. It was the first time I've ever gotten into an activity where you blink your eyes and suddenly nine hours has passed. Yeah. And uh, I started uploading a bunch of tracks to MacJams.com. And my first track got a six stars out of ten, and someone said, okay, I guess. I was thrilled that someone even listened to my music. I don't know where they were. Um, so from there, I just kept composing, often terrible, silly things. I had no reason yet to be doing what I was doing. Uh, and then I slowly got into film, and things made a lot more sense for me.
2: Yeah.
0: we kind of skipped over your... Archaeology background.
8: Oh, yeah. So I, uh, what,
0: what was that passion all about?
8: I think I was very interested in history, and uh, part of it actually was music from other cultures. I mentioned to you while we were eating that I was uh, in a Balinese ensemble. And you were playing gamelan? I was playing gamelan. I was writing music. I was studying music. I was just living it, man. <laughs> I was going for it. And that's carried me for a long time. I was studying jazz piano at the same time. A lot of weird stuff going on in my head
0: for sure <laughs> what'd you learn from like your world music pursuits there are many ways to skin a cat
8: you know being a western composer i guess our our thoughts are steeped in western theory so if i'm writing for a film and the mood is somber yet quirky why do i have to use a western scale why because <laughs> we expect it could I write something cyclical? Could I write something completely off the wall? Do I have to use instruments? These are all questions I ask myself now. Uh, Oftentimes I work with directors, and if I were to start playing gamelan prepared piano or something, they'd say, what are you doing? (laughs) Because it defies their expectation. Yeah. But occasionally, and this happened in the first film I did, the director said, do whatever you want, which is a horrible... Scary feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I scored almost the entire short with gongs. (laughs) Just gongs. Little piano, but mostly gongs. I would torture the gongs. I detuned them. I stretched out the reverb tail. I started sampling gong reverb tails as instruments. I just went crazy and it worked out really well. Uh, I've never again had that opportunity <laughs> to do whatever I wanted to. But that goes yeah. into me feeling like I can do whatever I want. It gave yeah. me so many more options and different ways of approaching something.
0: Yeah. I'm curious about your experience scoring the Zanzibar soccer team documentary. Okay. What's that called?
8: The New Generation Queens. Uh, there is a... Style of music called Tarab, T-A-R-A-A-B. Don't tweet me if I spelled it wrong. (laughs) Uh, But it is very popular in that area. And I, as this guy all the way out in Richmond, California, was uh, (laughs) trying to emulate Tarab music. And I just started deconstructing what that was. Uh, There's a lot of doubled, twangy, chorused electric guitar that's plucked by the bridge. There's a lot of midi, cheesy uh, strings, pads, and it's very perky.
0: I was living in Tanzania for nine months. Okay. So that was really actually kind of fun, like hearing your score, Mm -hmm. because I could definitely hear the elements of... Stuff I remember when I was over there, and I was only in, on Zanzibar Island for like a uh, weekend. But the music culture of Tanzania, is like, I mean, you did
8: your homework before cool. this interview. Well, Looking yeah, I did a
0: little bit. Yeah, yeah. I haven't uh. usually had much time on the tour to do that, but right. um, but yeah, I definitely was hearing like the cheesy. <laughs> That's what it called organ for. Oregon thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people who maybe are in America, like, wouldn't expect that to be, right. like, their style. Well, they had the,
8: uh, I have a melodica that I got for Christmas. Oh, nice. And I would play it on the upbeat. The, mm, mm, mm,
2: mm,
8: mm, mm, almost like an accordion. And I just blended that in with some synths. Blast,
0: man! Yeah, it was. A and the cross. rhythms, like, were that I thought you got the rhythms. I attempted polyrhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Attempted. Yeah, I mean, like going on this tour and going to Taiwan and mm-hmm. Okinawa. That those places, especially, it was interesting. Like hearing Okinawan radio, for example. Or right. It made me think that, like, I could tackle, like. World music projects. Right. If I he just, just like clothes, steep myself. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's, that's come up on this podcast before of like this feeling of awkwardness when someone asks you, like, hey, can you like do this music that's like world music for this video? Right. But then, like, one of those commissions I got, I, I didn't end up doing it, but it was like 20 different cultures. So it's like well what am I gonna try and do, do twenty different yeah. <laughs> right. It
8: can feel a, like appropriation sometimes. And I'm very nervous about that. Yeah. So I try and just do as genuine of a job as yeah. possible.
0: Well and there's parts of that score that have the uh, like Islamic chanting sort of thing. That was not me. Or <laughs> well not the uh it <laughs> was not that talented. Oh, okay. Well the, the one I'm thinking I shouldn't say it was actual chanting, but it, it was like maybe a wind instrument doing Oh yeah the, yeah. yeah, that probably was that either. style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a lot of movies use that, like
2: oh yeah like oh,
0: Whatever scale well, I don't know if that was a scale, what I was thinking, <laughs> but you know, like the Very
8: good harmonize. No, no, I'm (laughs) sorry. This is why I'm not a singer yet.
0: (laughs) So a lot of films maybe use that to just like, as a shortcut to like, oh, this is the... Establishes place and time. This is the Middle East or something. But but it actually makes sense because Zanzibar, like, people are Muslim there. And that's like the whole point of the documentary is like this female soccer team is kind of being outcasts in Zanzibar because it's like the Muslim society doesn't they don't like that they wear shorts when they play soccer Uh, oh is that like one of the main things that was one of the
8: main things is that they felt that they were wearing clothing that was inappropriate for a woman oh and these girls were just trying to play soccer and they had a lot of issues with being chased off of soccer fields by men, um, not having the same amount of funding that the boys' team did. At one point, a girl passed out from dehydration
0: uh, because they didn't have water. What? A lot of issues. (laughs) Where can people see that documentary if they want? Is it out already? Yeah, it's out. You can just visit the website, uh, newgenerationqueens.com. Cool yeah I'm liking all the sounds uh, that we're getting here, like these leaves, the leaves and talk about place and time. yeah. we <laughs> were like walking over these really nice crunchy things back there. Let's walk back that way and get these crunchy things. Okay I'll, I want to get a recording of that because it sounds kind of cool. But so you do sound design too.
8: I have done some sound design. It's not really the thing I do most of the time. I mostly do um, composition, and sometimes those two things intersect. I've done a couple suspenseful or horror films, and is that score or sound design? I don't know. Yeah. You know, when the guy pops out and you need a, a sting. Yeah. Is that music or is that sound design? I'm not. I'm not really sure.
0: Well, they sounded cooler at first. Here, just get it real close down there. I'll I'll try and see. see we're doing sound design right now. Should yeah, that's <laughs> true. So, Nick, I emailed Jeff to say I was going to interview you, mm-hmm. and he said that I have to ask you about your dream TV show. What is the what is this all about? Jeff! I'm shaking my fist
8: at the sky right now. <laughs> if he's up there, uh, I have a, a dream of being a local TV show host. Uh, there's a, a guy named Huell Hauser who died a couple years ago, but he went all around California and would interview people about the most benign topics. He would go to Lincoln, California, and he'd find an old man who had a driveway filled with gravel. And Huell said, did you collect all this gravel yourself? And the guy's answer was, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and was then forced to try and get at least a three-minute segment out of this guy, and you can imagine <laughs> the stress he was under. But it's almost like there's no editing in his show. He'll go to a cafe, and he actually did this once. He went in, saw a portrait of Burt Lancaster, and demanded that someone let him call the manager and ask him if it was a genuine portrait of Burt Lancaster. And the manager said, Oh, no, we just bought it. (laughs) That was a a good segment of that episode. And he just gets into nothing. Uh, And no one's safe. He'll put his arm around you. He's this huge, charming Texan. And uh, he'll talk to you about coffee beans, talk to you about... The duck that lives in your backyard. There's no end <laughs> to what he will talk about. And I'm just so delighted by it. He has that's, no agenda. That's, Zero. It's great. It's like the
0: Seinfeld awesome. of travel shows. <laughs> well, I think there's... Yeah, it's, there's something cool about, like... Even though it's totally mundane stuff, you're just, like, kind of on edge. Like, what's going to happen? Because you just have no idea what could happen when there's no editing and like sometimes like interview shows are kind of annoying when they are very predictable it's like Mm -hmm. oh yeah there's this famous person talking about their movie or whatever it's like you're
8: there's an agenda there yeah they want to toss him out a couple softball questions about what's your favorite place to get a smoothie yeah and then they end up talking about their film but Hauser, there's nothing going on (laughs) he's not going to get anything out of this interaction other than him just being entertained himself. It would be as if you and I switched places. I had a camera, and all I wanted to do was talk to you about your sock collection. And we filmed it and made a 33-minute episode out of it. (laughs) And I just milked it for everything it was worth. You introduced me to your cat, and there's a whole segment of me petting your cat.
0: But see, even by you asking me about my sock collection, Mm -hmm. I'm already thinking about, like, well, there's probably an interesting story there because I've never, ever talked about my socks. Not with your anyone, chance. but... <laughs> Let's see, do I have a sock story? Well, on this trip, I brought a very limited amount of socks. Why? Uh, because I didn't want to have to check my bag. A big bag. And when I was in Australia, <laughs> my backpack started opening up and... When I got to my destination, my bag was, like, half open, and I lost, like, some of my socks, I guess, and one of my t-shirts. And th- this happened twice, that my bag just, like, opened up. And I was passing a lot of people, so my question is, to the people of Australia, why didn't you tell me that my bag was open? It's so passive. But so <laughs> passive-aggressive, Australia. What's going on? But anyways, that was a pretty terrible sock story, so... You should have saved this for the show I'm making. Yeah. Well, I I think this show should happen, because I think you have the right amount of dry humor, like, the approach is, to it. I, it would be cruel of me, because I would purposely seek out people that seemed like they had nothing interesting to say.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Nick, what other music theory or anything sort of topics haven't we covered yet? That but... Musical texture. Yeah?
8: I'm not going to get through this interview without talking about musical texture. Alright. You know when I see your sweater I know what it would feel like if I touched it the same way that I know what a trumpet sounds like mixed with a flute. Mm. So when you're mending two instruments together you get something new right? So if your sweater was made completely out of silk it would just feel like silk but once you start adding cotton in there you get a whole new thing so I'm very fascinated by blending some weird instrument I've never heard of before with a synth or uh, mixing a clarinet with an accordion I don't know why (laughs) I'm so fascinated
0: it it sort of satisfies a sense in your ear yeah and like when I'm doing that I my goal is to make people not be able to pick out like oh that's a trumpet and a flute together right you know like trying to make make them blend in a way that works well or that's that's an airplane and that's a chainsaw right that are
8: becoming increasingly but louder as this... we approach the chainsaw <laughs> when we walk down and pick
0: the wrong street oh Whoa. that they was a across big, the street yeah or we're going to get a giant branch falling right. on us. I think this is officially the first interview I've done next to a chainsaw. Oh, So when you mix a
8: chainsaw and a uh, violin, you get a very interesting texture. It sounds awful, but <laughs> it would be a texture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I purchased something called a zafun which is fingered and sized like a recorder, but it has a reed in it. It has a saxophone reed in it. Oh. And it sounds like a saxophone. Cool. Uh, And I use it all the time. I blend it in to the background of... I I use Vienna instruments all the time when I'm doing symphonic stuff or when I need to mock what a cello sounds like. I'll blend the live sound of the zaffoon in there to get a breathier texture behind something that might be more granular Cool. Um, I think a lot about it when I'm arranging uh, especially with woodwinds and brass and strings and stuff I think about it as much as I do uh, chords, so when I'm trying to go from root to 5 to root or a diminished chord to root or wherever it is, it's just as important to me as the texture or the instrumentation
0: yeah, I, I remember one of the guests I interviewed, Dimitri Tomasco, was saying something about like how, yeah, as much as you want to figure out the, well, it's starting to rain, let's maybe turn around. Time to retreat. But yeah, as much as you think about the harmonies and stuff, really the listener, their first interaction is with uh, the actual sound of the instrument that right. you can pick up in, like, a split second.
8: There's the finer details of a sensory experience. So when we're looking down the street right now, we can see everything just fine, but the clouds overhead are sort of casting a grayish hue over everything, and that's part of what we're seeing right now. Uh, like I mentioned with your sweater before, there's little bits of fuzzies on there, and mm-hmm. I could anticipate what that, what that is. Uh, with sound... There's nothing to prepare you for what you're about to experience. When you click play, you just get this pop in your ear. And I'm trying to manipulate that experience in someone's ear from sometimes thousands of miles away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a cool way to think about it. Right. So, I found out that
4: you work at... Anonymous Tech Company. Um, Yes.
0: What do you do
8: there, exactly? I'm a partner operations coordinator. Uh, I make sure that all the TV content uh, is put up at the right time with the right pricing. It's a pretty sweet day job because it keeps me involved in media uh, on a daily basis. There's no avoiding hearing about a new TV show or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, that's that's cool. Do you have any advice for like filmmakers or? composers or whatever who are maybe trying to get into the...
4: Anonymous Tech Company.
0: Stores, There, are like, what, what kind of gatekeeping happens there?
8: Most of our content is submitted from studios, some small, some large. Uh, if you're just making a film and you want it placed on the
4: Anonymous Tech Company.
8: Store, uh, you'd probably need to be in contact with a distributor who can deliver assets and be in constant contact with us regarding rights and who has them and so on and so forth. We don't really have individual people just sending stuff in. Uh, I used to work at a music licensing library, a music library, and that was a mixed bag of label representatives and individual artists and I would be in contact with them regarding getting the music synced and licensed and so on and so forth, and that's sort of how I got into... Anonymous Tech
2: Company.
0: So basically, it's just like, if you're serious about it, you uh-huh. just have to invest in getting a representative. Of, yeah, right, like you, you
8: need, probably need a distributor. Distributors, yeah. Uh, I think the documentary I did about the, the girls playing soccer uh, did get a distributor recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I got picked up. I don't know where it's going or when or why. Yeah. But it's out there. My name's on it. Sweet. Find me.
0: Yeah. That kind of stuff. So, Nick, I have a tradition on the show that each guest asks a question of the next guest. Okay. So my previous guest, well, it's, it's my friend who works as a graphic designer at- Anonymous Tech Company. When you're having a creative lull, uh-huh. how do you get... Out of it. I start writing
8: things I hate. I just put something down, and then invariably I decide I hate this. And that sparks the discussion in my brain of why I hate it, which brings me closer to doing something I might like. So rather than sitting there saying I don't know what to do, I just start doing something and then I realize I don't want it. Similar to when you ask someone, What do you want to eat for dinner? and they say, I don't know, I'm just hungry. You say, okay, well, what about tacos? Oh, I hate tacos. Well, what about pho? Mmm, closer. Then you can start just listing off the things they don't want, you get closer to what they do want. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it's hard to be creative, and in fact, most times it's hard to be creative, and you often have deadlines when you're working in film. That's why I just start going, and I start fixing it later. <laughs> yeah. So you want me oh, to come up with a question for... Yes, I do. Oh, dear. If you could master any instrument that you're currently not very proficient in, what would it be and why? Yeah. Cool.
0: That's good. Yeah. Well, Nick, if people want to check out your music, where should they go?
8: You can go to www.nickstayton.com. That's Satan with an extra T. It helps you spell it. Uh, yeah. S T A T A N dot com. Right.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks so much. Thank it's you, Charlie. Great to meet you in person. Yeah. Fun. Fun. Hopefully, we'll get face to a name. Yeah. Yeah. Do more film music projects. I'm sure we will. Together. Thanks for
8: interviewing me. It's been yeah, great. For sure. Yeah.
0: Chin, Jordan. Thanks for having me over to your house. Yeah, thank you.
7: Anytime. Welcome.
0: Yeah. So it's really cool, like looking out your back window, and there's the mountain, mountains of San Jose. Yeah,
7: Yeah. Uh, we're in uh, Almaden Valley, which is kind of a um, southern most part of San Jose, so we get the nice views. But there's not a whole lot going on here either. But um, the good thing about I guess
0: being a composer is that it doesn't really matter, um, where you live, you know, I get to work with people from all over. Yeah. And you've been doing video game remixes with a a group. What's that, what's that all about? Um, so
7: for a little over a year now, I've been a part of the Materia Collective, which is a group that, um, it was founded by this guy named Sebastian Wolf, who, um, also was the co-founder of Louder. Um, oh. I
0: don't know if you've heard of them and they yeah, what was that was like a music streaming site, right or something?
7: Yeah, they do. I mean they have a, a streaming and storefront um, aspect to it, but they also handled a lot of the distribution for people who wanted to license other people's music. Oh okay, and release you know video game covers and, and things like that. So about a year ago, we put out this album called Materia which is a a remix of Final Fantasy VII, and um, it kind of coincided with the announcement of the remake for Final Fantasy VII, so it was 100-plus composers from around the world. I think it was like a five-disc album. It (laughs) was a a massive effort, and of course, being a fan of the game and the music since I was a little kid, I kind of jumped on the opportunity. Um, and And what
0: was your track that you did?
7: Uh, I did one called Dear to the Heart, which is, it, it uses the main theme from Final Fantasy. It was actually the first time I'd ever really interacted with other composers in this way. So that album is is very special to me. I think it kind of got the momentum rolling for me to to get into composing more seriously and getting immersed in the game audio community in particular.
0: Yeah. How did you get into composing in the first place?
7: So I grew up in a pretty musical family. Um, My dad taught classical guitar um, and used to perform at weddings and and things like that so we always had a piano and a guitar around the house and I grew up listening to lots of different types of music and at some point along the road I had a friend who was really into making beats like hip-hop beats and introduced me to FL Studio which is the DAW that I'm still using now Mm -hmm. like nine or ten years later yeah that was the start of it I think and eventually started singing and just Exploring a lot of different instruments, and at some point I thought, well, what if I just like put all those things together, like recorded a song where I was playing everything, and I guess that's what got me started on the idea of composing, you know, beyond just a a, a rock band type of setting.
0: Yeah, I, I was impressed, like watching your YouTube videos of like you playing drums, guitar, singing. Oh, thank you. You know, like <laughs> everything. I was like, like, uh, your song Subterranean On there I oh, yeah. really liked
7: Below the ground, at the of a lake. That
0: was one where probably If I had listened to it And not watched the video I would have assumed noise, it was a band Or like, you know, oh. Different people Or maybe even like Like, your drumming is so good and it's mixed so well, like, I would have thought maybe, oh, maybe he used a loop for that or something like that versus live drums, so that's cool.
7: that was important for me I think just to kind of I don't know like once it's on YouTube it's kind of official and I was not really trying to prove anything to anybody but myself I think that I could do it and that was also at a point where I was taking vocal lessons which is something that I'm still kind of insecure about I think Um, just my singing voice and I really wanted to to do that just to kind of get over that that hurdle
2: yeah
0: what things are you learning in your voice lessons well are you still taking lessons or no actually
7: that was just for my last year of college I took them for about a year oh sure but I learned a lot about projection and how you I mean something as simple as like how you breathe during singing which I didn't (laughs) really do that well it it taught me to listen to singers differently so when I listened to music, I was thinking about it differently. Like, oh, where is this person taking a breath? Or how are they attacking the note? Or that type of mm. thing.
0: I think in some recordings I've done, I've intentionally cut out my breath sounds. Oh, yeah? Because I I know that my breathing is awkward. <laughs> um, like, I don't have it down yet to do, like, natural breathing. Yeah. So I'll have these, like... <laughs> I don't know, some sort of... Yeah. Non-artistic breath, <laughs> I guess, if you...
7: Yeah, it's like, uh, it, it's one of those things that can kind of creep up on you if you're not intentional about it. And yeah. I've been known to be kind of like, you know, up to close to the mic, like kind of clipping with, you know, like snorts <laughs> and stuff like that, which are not the most flattering thing to have in your songs, but, you know, it happens.
0: Yeah. So I, I haven't thought about, like, listening closely to songs to see, like, where they breathe or what they... Yeah. you start to now, now like, you notice all the time breath sounds, or no? Um, I do, actually. <laughs> so there's this band called Muse that I, I listen
7: or when I was playing in a band, they were heavily influenced by Muse, and that guy, yeah. like, he doesn't hide his breaths at all, you know, like, when he, and he sings very dramatically in yeah. a very big way, so a lot of his songs are just like, <gasps> you know, like, that kind of <laughs> stuff, like, before he sings, and it's like... You know, I listen to that and I think, okay, well, in that context, it works because I think he's, you know, really going for that emotional <laughs> type yeah. of vocal, but other times it can be kind of distracting, you know, so. Yeah.
0: That style of like really pronounced breath in is almost like a, like a little anticipation note on a melody or early, you know, like. Like a pickup. Yeah. Some sort the, of yeah. pickup note.
7: Yeah. Um, it can be good for that. You know, I think breath is like one of those things that can make a performance sound more authentic. I've tried not to edit things so much when I, when I sing and inevitably I kind of do because I think, uh, I'm kind of like a, you know, I've learned to become an audio surgeon, Mm -hmm. but recently I've been thinking more about how doing things in one take and how that makes things sound more authentic including all the breaths and imperfections and, and things like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good point to get to, I think. Uh, I want to ask you about Taiwan, because uh, I was just there, and it turns out um, your family is from there, your mom's side. Right. right. So you just went on a trip there, too. What, what like um, maybe a month. month ago?
7: Yeah, a month or two ago. Um, I actually go every... Try to go every summer to, to visit my family there. This past trip, for some reason, I was a little bit more adventurous, I think. I tried to go out and visit places that I wouldn't normally visit, and I loved it. I think um, I think there's something to be said just about being in a new place. Like, I don't know, how was it for you when you're,
0: yeah? You know, it was your first you time? Just kind of, yeah, yeah, first time anywhere in Asia, actually, so... it's awesome. That was cool. I... Like, I just was walking around on the street, and I think that's, like, the best way to get around. It's just, like, wander. And, yeah, and like, I just stumbled into this really cool music festival that oh, was really? happening. Yeah, it was, like, Hakka music, so, oh, like, the Hakka okay. people. Yeah, It's um, like,
7: one of the indigenous Taiwanese people there.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I got a ton of good recordings in, in, in that episode cool but i can't hear it yeah i was kind of curious like have you uh experienced like a lot of traditional music while you were there i wouldn't say that i've experienced any music in and of itself
7: i think I've, i've never really gone to like a music festival there but they have a lot of different holidays and festivals and things like that that like aboriginal
0: vocals are just sort of a part of that um I'm kind of thinking, do you want to, like, hang out for a little bit while the gardeners are shirking? So, Jordan and I um, decided, as long as there's, like, the gardener noise in the background, why not just go outside to the park? So, we'll, uh... It's a beautiful day. Yeah, we're going to continue, maybe, the interview, but mostly we wanted to just go and kind of jam out... On the hills, so yeah, it's awesome out here. Let's, Let's go it. for it. Oh. oh, sorry. You can screw
2: that back a bit sure.
0: Well, I'm glad you have two guitars with two backpack. Yeah.
7: <laughs> I've never used both of them at the
0: same time. Well, this is... This is a golden opportunity. Perfect. This is just like an idyllic music writing situation. Oh. We're just getting up to the top of the hill. There's like awesome mountains surrounding us completely. Yeah. And that's downtown San Jose. Oh. We're right there. This looks like a good sitting rock. Yeah. So, do you have a a song idea in mind that you want to try and write, or should we just uh, jam? <laughs> we can anything? just jam till it comes to us.
7: Yeah, I haven't, I don't have anything prepped.
0: Well, what kind of stuff do you like to play on guitar? Like, um, I usually tend to do, like, melodic stuff, or finger-picked stuff or I don't know or you know I'll just play chords and try and sing something so yeah so basically anything I guess <laughs> is that what I'm saying oh, there's a little ground squirrel over there
7: they're everywhere <laughs> that won't be the last one you see today Favorite ever um, major seven voicings is this shape. You can move it all around.
0: Yeah. Major seven chords used to be like my favorite chords. Yeah. No, I love them.
7: I guess I'm just like into with my limited. Theory knowledge. I like the the sevens and nines and all that, all that stuff
0: because mm-hmm. it's quote unquote jazzier sounding to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Do you have any songs that you could play for me? <laughs> like
7: it's funny you ask that. Like I always write my songs on guitar, but I usually end up writing stuff that involves so many other instruments that I can't really just play it with a guitar. Sure. Um, I' can show you some some like lakes and things that I've written for songs sure um, okay so this is in drop D. Cool. It's kind of one like that.
0: Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I wish
7: we had I'll more, we could just kind of jam on. Do you have any progressions or anything that you like? I could just come up with it, maybe. Okay. If you were to write a song right now, what would you want to sing about? Hmm. Being
0: where we are,
7: and yeah, at that, this time
0: of day. That would be the natural thing. Um, but... Where's the drama in the song? But maybe it doesn't <laughs> the need chipmunks? drama. The chipmunks are gonna throw stuff on my head. There are acorns and stuff falling. <laughs> oh, there's like a ground squirrel battle going on over there. We could write a song about that, maybe. Acorn battlefield. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. <like laughs> it's so peaceful out here, like I feel like a battle song. It's I know. silly. <laughs> Kind of like this E6 chord
7: I like this so this is a six. It's an E with the six? Yep. yep. I think I play this one with the minor or E minor a lot. I Ooh. do like a, Okay. For some reason I play this progression one. It has that kinda of like mystical, like suspenseful, you know. Just hear some like sci-fi pulses underneath or something. <laughs> yeah. Um Anyway, so yeah, let's cool. run with this. So, so,
2: <laughs>
7: you know your your voice kind of reminds me a little
0: bit of like um,
7: Fleet Foxes.
0: Oh, <laughs> I really like Fleet Foxes. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so I'm thinking like the phrasing could be. So, I don't know. Do you have lyric ideas here? Um, Wait, are we singing about squirrels still? We could be. (laughs) I I think it would be nice to not say if I was a a a little little squirrel. That's about the dumbest lyric I've ever come up with. but. But it could be the lyric. I don't know.
7: Mm-hmm. would I see you fight another squirrel <laughs> on a hill.
2: <laughs> would I see another... Hill?
0: So you're asking the other person if they're violent or not. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a semi-preachy folk song. <laughs> 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 like anti-war song, but, but about squirrels. The Squirrels are just a metaphor. Yeah.
2: If you were a little squirrel
7: Saw another squirrel
2: on your hill, would be friendly to the squirrel. Because both of you can be friends on this hill,
0: oh. <laughs> the hill of yep. friends. <laughs> well, we could go there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Would you be friendly
0: then to that squirrel? Because we could be. Because. Because. Uh, because we
7: could be friendly friends.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> you can. know we can be.
7: On this hill, yeah. The hill
0: of friendship.
2: The hill of love. The hill of
7: Yeah, I just stopped for a moment and looked around and thought, what if people walking by on this trail saw us just singing the Hill of Friends? <laughs> like two guys with like their acoustic guitars sitting in the grass. Yeah. It's
0: almost like <laughs> almost like too perfect. Yeah. I think we should. Alright. We, we saw some people on the way up. Maybe we should just start singing to them on the way down. <laughs> okay, we're getting close. Hill of Friends. Hill of Hill of the hill of peace
2: Peace from above oh, The hill of, hill of squirrels The hill Whoa. of squirrels The hill you and me Cause let's all Wait, be Wait, the hill
0: with what? Um, the, okay, so
2: The hill of squirrels So let's all be squirrels.
7: Squirrels in a tree.
0: (laughs) Squirrels in a tree. (laughs) Because we're all one family tree. A tree of squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Oh boy. This is getting ridiculous. This this went a lot further than I thought it was going to go. Oh yeah. So let's see
2: hill of
7: square
0: what chord is this e7 e, seven. e, seven. Oh, e this dominant. Dominant the hill of and you want to do a seven here yeah I think so and then back to regular e a hill of square in a tree, so
7: let's
2: all be squirts. You and me.
0: It's like the Amen ending, which is yeah. a plagal cadence <laughs> music theory nerds. <clears throat> I learned something new today. All right, let's, let's do this thing. It's like we got
7: our own, like, sound design. Yeah. We're going to think that we added Whoa. in the birds. What is that?
0: Is that a cat? Or is that a oh, lynx? I think it's a lynx. Oh, my gosh. What? I got to get a picture of that. Holy cow. Are lynxes common up here?
7: Uh, I don't see them all that often.
0: Oh my gosh, it's like tinier than I expected.
2: Little on top of a
0: hill. Little Song number two. Song number two. <laughs> all right. Um, a hill of squirrels. Jordan Chin. Charlie McCarran. One, two, three, four. Thanks, squirrels, for the inspiration. And thanks, Jordan Chin. It's been really yeah, yeah, yeah. fun hanging out. It has been fun. Thank you. So, that does it for this episode of Composer Quest. It, wait, no, it doesn't.
7: Oh, wait, that's going on the episode? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: <okay>. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, so now what I want to do is ask you the question chain question. So,. My last interviewee asked If you could master any instrument that you don't already play What would it be and why? Oh, I think that's easy
7: I would definitely master cello I think uh, I always feel like I hear cello melodies Over stuff that I write Especially like orchestral things I always want that at the forefront
0: Cool Um, So what's your question for my next interviewee? Okay, well, so we just had
7: an awesome time writing this spontaneous song about squirrels, which mm-hmm. just came out of nowhere, and I haven't done that in a long, long time. I guess my question for the next interviewee would be, if you were sitting on a hill on a beautiful day, and you had one hour to write a song, what would you write it about? Sweet. And I am It can't to... be squirrels, because we already dropped that single.
0: <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> Well, Jordan, it's been awesome hanging with you, writing this song, and great to meet you in person. Yeah, likewise. So, uh, if people want to check out your music, where should they go?
7: Um, They could go to my site, which is just www.jordanchinmusic.com, all one word, and all the other social media and all that jazz is up there. Facebook, SoundCloud. yeah, um,
0: So... Cool. Well, thanks, Jordan. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Well, I'm back on the road, driving to Southern California. And uh, I really enjoyed hanging out with Jordan. And writing that ridiculous song—yet uh, another example of a song that I thought would be the worst thing ever, uh, but turned out to be super catchy. A side note for you listeners: I'm, I'm going to be putting out all these songs that I've been writing on the tour on the Composer Quest Bandcamp page, it's composerquest.bandcamp.com, and. Uh, yeah, that does it for this episode. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I will keep on driving south till I get to do some more interviews for the next episode in, down in San Diego. In the meantime, I'm just going to enjoy this beautiful pink sunset right over the mountains. Wish you could see it.